Hi everyone, welcome to a brand new Film Music Media uh, Conversation. I'm here uh, sitting with the amazing composer Joel J. Richard. Joel, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today. It's such a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Kai. I appreciate it. Yeah, so to jump in, um, you know, I would love, I just want to start off with this question. I've been asking this to, to, to composers recently and I just love the response it gets. Uh, however you take this question, it might sound simple, but I think it has more profound uh, meaning behind it. Um, as, a, as a human being, as a storyteller, as a musician, as a composer, uh, as an as an artist, what does music mean to you? What does music mean to me is the first question. That is the first <laughs> to wow. set the stage. Uh, I don't know my blood type, so if we're gonna get there, I don't. I I should know it. I don't remember it. Um, what does music mean to me? Um, well, that's interesting. I I would say uh, how I view music is as a kind of it's it's a time machine mm. and a time capsule um i mean i don't know if everyone's experience is like this i'm assuming it is because um there's a nostalgic attachment to music for most people and i think music is the only one of the few things music and photos and art in general but for me music transports you to various times in your life um it you know, a song can that happen, especially in your teenage years, while your hormones are raging, you make the most um, uh, attachments to music during that period of time. And I feel like you hear a song from, you know, that you encountered when you were 14, it takes you right back to it. I have um, the first time I heard Led Zeppelin's Black Dog, I still remember I was, uh, I don't know what age I was exactly, maybe 11, um, was heading out to go snowboarding, it was in the backseat of my mom and step dad's vehicle driving up the mountains and it came on and whenever I hear it or even thinking about it I can see the mountains I could see where we are and yeah. I, I just I don't know of my own experience at least is I, I can't think of anything else that transports me to um, other stages of life the way that music does and uh, and I think that's why it helps you know movies so much as well it, it, the world building aspect of it it makes Harry Potter seem like he can fly or ET, and uh, and it and it makes us have a connection still to our past. Um, so for me, that's what music's always been. And other than that, I would say I feel like it's an obsession, um, <laughs> a compulsion. I just always yeah. gravitated towards it. So um, I'm I'm sure there's more stock answers I could give you. Uh, oh no, like I don't. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just yeah it means it means you know it's just my soul no no <laughs> yeah yeah and all that <laughs> and all that but i'm curious also uh, you know take me back to kind of your origin story you know you talked about hearing led zeppelin for the first time what when in your life did you kind of be, were aware of film scores and, and scoring for visual media and, and and when did it become an interest and to an actual like i'm going to make this a career path well, that part of it, I'm still trying to figure out. But um, <laughs> as far as, I mean, the origin story, I think it's just been, I don't know, I've been thinking a lot just about life in general, how every person we meet, every piece of art we consume, every I don't know, meal we have, all of it, we, we're just absorbing and it's shaping our worldview minute by minute. And if I think back, like the musical journey um, I, I I hope this makes sense, but I know when, when I was very young, I thought life was a very, very much a, a nonlinear path or a rather mm -hmm. a linear path that you okay. start off here and you say, I want to end up at Z. You know, you start at A, you want to end up at Z and you think it's a straight line, or at least I did to some degree. And then I feel like the older you get and the more life you experience, you, you realize you're winding around and you're almost like a pinball in a pinball machine where you bounce off of one thing that sends you in a completely different direction. And I think that's been my musical journey as far as um, at a very young age, I think I was, I was especially attached with the attachment to cinema. I, my dad, who I don't want to say it was a bad parenting move, but when I was five, he let me watch The Shining and um i don't An know if you've one. seen the shining but it's it's uh it takes i also kind of at the time looked a little bit like danny from the shining you know i had a similar <laughs> haircut i had a tricycle uh or actually it was a big wheel um and did you also have an imaginary so, friend or not <laughs> not yet not um yet. 
but that experience and then he fell asleep during it so i watched most of the end by myself and so at an early age i experienced um the horror of the combination of music and and disturbing images and yeah. that left an impression and then a year or two later i watched um the first alien film by myself um which also left an impression as far as but i didn't at that age i didn't really understand i couldn't separate music from from what I was watching, it was just yeah. I was being assaulted by these images and um, and disturbed by them. But at the same time, I I grew to love love all that music and and those films. Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it kind of music and and um, visuals for me that was my initial, I, I guess, uh, introduction where um, it had an effect on me. And then my grandparents had. Uh, an upright piano in their basement and a nylon string acoustic guitar. And every time I would go to their house, for some reason, I just wanted to be near the instruments and nobody really taught me anything then. I just kind of always felt an, a desire to play them or mess around with them and make sounds and figure stuff out. And it was just, um, I don't know, it was always an interest. And then, yeah. um, and then when I, again, this pinball effect, I know my sister was a huge Beatles fan and Aerosmith fan. So she was always giving me music to listen to. And anytime I was around her, she had that music playing. And uh, my dad was more of the classic rock guy. And then around the household, I don't know whose they were, but there were um, these cassette tapes for um, like Bach and Beethoven and Mozart that I, I also always found myself just wanting to put on and listen to. And um, so it was just, again, like, for me, I mean, this is, you know, before the internet is the way it is. And right, right. It was just, you're exposed to whatever happens to be within your grasp, essentially. Exactly. And I think in some ways I was fortunate there was just a lot of just random stuff around. And then hip hop started becoming big as it when I was little. And I, I very much gravitated towards that because it was just exciting and different. And, um, and then as I, I don't know what, I, I think around 12, I got a guitar. And oh, I also, I did have a, my sister's clarinet for a period of time and was learning to play that some in like school, like in like in the, the elementary school orchestra, which God knows was probably um, very far from being in tune and, and just unbearable for parents. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but eventually shifted over to guitar. And then um, I would say like in the 90s, the, the trip hop scene kind of blew up and I got really into that side of yeah. things. And and product and this kind of leads me to uh, um, feeling like I could maybe get involved in film scoring strangely because I think most people like I did go see I remember again talking about a time capsule or a time machine I remember my dad taking me to see uh, the Empire Strikes Back and waiting in the long line and and going to see one of the Jaws is with him and Friday the 13th I think everything he took me to was was usually yeah, terrifying it, with the exception of star wars um pattern yeah <laughs> yeah so i mean i was absolutely familiar with uh john williams i didn't know who he was as a small child right. um and the music for me wasn't accessible in that like i grew up in upstate new york in a rural environment and um i don't know where the i think the nearest orchestra would have been new york city probably or maybe up in albany so it was I hadn't, I hadn't had that kind of exposure at, at that at a really young age. So it didn't, when I heard these big orchestral scores at the time, I didn't, I didn't think that, I didn't know where they came from or necessarily think, oh, I can learn how to do this and, and be a part right. of that. It, so for me, um, around the time I was, um, play, I had played, I was playing in like hard rock bands, hardcore bands, just whatever whoever I could meet to play with that at a young age and and then in cover bands and just um, again, being a pinball, finding whoever would do, who was into music and then finding a way to, to, you know, to play with them and work with yeah. them and learn from them. And then, so I, I had been making a lot of um, kind of more cordis head and um, uh, tricky kind of influence um, trip hop type stuff because I I found a I think I found a sampler at a porn uh, oh, sorry at a pawn shop <laughs> and uh, I had a four track and some keyboards and a bunch of guitars and I was making stuff and um, and then I saw um, a John Powell score for 
forces of nature. Yeah, I remember that one. It's probably not the normal origin story. It's not, it's not, <laughs> it's, not it's not a massive film. <laughs> I did the liner um, notes with him for the, the re-release for La Land Records. Oh, Jean and I did. Oh, nice. Yeah, so. Yeah, so I remember seeing that film and uh, with uh, uh, Sandra Bullock and Ben Affleck, and yeah. there was this John, John's music, John Powell's music for it um, was the first that there were moments that felt where I could connect to it and go, ah, there there are things that I'm kind of doing in a very rudimentary way with uh, with you know very minimal amount of equipment. And 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 then it made me go like who where did this come from who made yeah. this and and there was a specific sequence I think it was there was something with I I haven't seen the movie probably since but <laughs> watch I'll rewatch it now and it'll be horrifying no I'm sure John did a great job but um there was I think a rainstorm or a rain sequence and I really remember gravitating towards that scene and I think we had we had rented it or something and I was rewinding that scene over and over again and it sparked this idea of like oh you can make music that's kind of related to some of the stuff I was doing and apply this to picture where I think before that I I just assumed you know you had to you had to be doing a Raiders of the Lost Ark or whatever it happened to be and then for the TV scores I mean at the time I think they were they weren't orchestral as much but I wasn't I don't know I just I I was more focused on film music at that time when I started to become interested in it and then um and then I had uh, a college professor who um, there basically I took an art class and there was a, a student named Jody who was sitting next to me and I was taking some um, composition classes at the same time. And I was working on my homework, composition homework in the middle of art class because I, for some reason, decided to multitask, which is a poor choice. But anyway, <laughs> um, and uh, and then Jody said, hey, I, you know, I'm part of this um, program with the school where we have to make films and we make a they had a tv show and that was like a documentary style tv show and you know could you do some music for me i made some music for her with what equipment i had and um and then that led her to introducing me to this professor who then said hey there's a recording studio with a uh really quite a probably a pretty decent sized live room where you could fit i would think about 30 or 40 live players in it um, oh, wow. And it was a had um, a 16 track analog reel to reel tape machine, a console, and and no one uses it. And it was like, why don't you just figure out how to use all of this? And fortunately, the person who worked on there, named I don't know Rich's last name, Rich um, was kind of a technician and kept the studio up and running. He would come in and give me tips and suggestions, and then I started recording um bands that I was in and I just had full reign of the studio and there's a grand piano and I was just kind of always learning and experimenting and probably making fairly horrific uh pieces of music (laughs) but it it was kind of how I just started spending all my time and then I got really interested in um the production side of things as a byproduct of um I I think maybe this is normal i found that once i started making stuff and i started having access to all this equipment i couldn't figure out why things i was making didn't sound necessarily like um the drum kit from this album or whatever i happened to be listening to and i just didn't know you know i didn't know much about compressors and i i knew how to eq stuff to, to a degree at that time but i just i didn't realize how much um, goes into making a Beatles record, you know, what depends on the album, but sound the way they do or um, all of the tricks that you can do in a studio and techniques. So that then led to me being really interested in the production side of things. Mm. And then I ended up um, going to school for audio engineering and studied just some of that to kind of learn more and learn what all the tools are and, and to have a better understanding of how to use them and then moved to LA and, and somehow just knew I wanted to do something in music and I wasn't a hundred percent, you know, I didn't come in into this going like, I'm going to do film music or I was still also on the fence. Was I going to do music or was I, was I going to uh, be an audio engineer? I just, I just knew I loved all of it. And, and that's what brought me here. Um, So that's, that's kind of the origin of getting to LA. Uh, I can continue if you want, once I'm here. Sure. I mean, I, I'm curious, like, yeah, once you got, I mean, I mean, I think a lot of people are interested how 
someone who arrives here gets their foot in the door. I'm curious how you ended up working with, well, this with is John, kind John of, Powell. You know, yeah, <laughs> I, I, I can get I can get us there, and I can get us there quickly. Um, sure. So while and and part of the the other reason of why I wanted to go to uh, the recording school was I I had, um, so in New York I was trying to I knew I wanted to get an internship at a recording studio because I just felt like if I could get in the door there there would be so much more to learn and at the time. Um, in New York City, and I imagine this is still the case. They they were saying like we don't we don't want you unless it's for school credit. And I had some mm -hmm. uh, interviews, and I remember the first one um, where I drove to New York City. I can't remember what where it was. It might have been Electric Ladyland. I'm not sure now. Parked the car, got to the interview. Um, it was very brief. It was mostly like give us a resume, shake your hand, we'll call you. Yeah. and walked out to find my car was gone oh and i'm God. in new york city and i don't know how old i am but i have no money and i yeah. remember going back it's that's i think that's the greatest magic trick in the world is going back to find your car has is, is vanished um right. but i i came back to find the car was gone and then had to trek uh i walked across the city for two hours to wherever they take the cars got my car out and then sat in traffic for three hours to get home. And then I remember thinking, not for me, New York City. I, you know, it's just yeah. it's too dense. Not for me. California, I'd always been drawn to, to it. And um, so I do this recording school program. And in the end, they say you need uh, an internship to graduate. And um, and I was trying to figure out where I I wanted to do that internship. And this is my another pinball. Uh, analogy here I guess is that um, uh, they gave us a bunch of magazines and one of them I believe was keyboard magazine and there was an article in it um, from Jeff Rona uh, uh, who yeah. at the time was working at his his studio was out of um, Hans Zimmer's he just finished I think White Squall um, uh, Tony Scott film and um, Ridley Scott Ridley Scott Ridley, Ridley Scott yeah, thank yeah. you um, <laughs> and um, and uh, so there was an email address and I emailed um, Jeff just inquiring about essentially more about what he does and and there yeah. was a give and take and um, and I expressed after a handful of emails like hey you know by the way my school requires an internship to, you know do you, do you offer one and I didn't I didn't know where he was stationed at the time I just knew he was in LA and and um and so he said come on out and i wow. met with um at the time sunny parks who was um i believe she was the running the business end of um remote control which at the time was media ventures right, right. i met with sunny um before she left to go over to dreamworks she was lovely uh i was i didn't know anybody coming to la i just got here somehow and ended up in that building and I interviewed with Sonny and it went much better than the New York City interviews. Um, and she, her, I, she responded to some degree with something like, well, we don't really do interns anymore. We shut down that program because, you know, we don't want to have to pay interns. And I was like, you don't have to pay me. This is this is school credit. And she was <laughs> like, you're in. <laughs> and so to some degree, I think uh, for better or worse, I, I feel like you, I could be thanked or uh, acknowledged for kind of starting up their intern program again. Right. Because I, I just remember her. The first thing was like, yeah, we, we don't we're not doing that anymore. And then once it was school credit, it was like, you are hired sort of. Right. And then um, I could tell you. So then I I think I went back to uh, I, oh, I went to get all my stuff and moved to L.A. officially got an apartment. I had $1,500 to my name and my rent was between a thousand and 1100 for the month. And I knew I had enough to get by for a month basically. Right. And the internship, I don't remember the, the amount of hours, but um, I had to complete however many hours in, a, in the, over the course of a month to, to be able to get, you know, to have this count as a credit. Yeah, yeah. And I knew I didn't have, the funds to 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 figure out what to do after that. So I I basically I don't remember who I got assigned to. Somebody um, assigned me, or, or basically there was someone in charge of telling me where to be and what to do. And it was mostly like clean coffee cups and um, I don't know, dust the chairs. You know, it was that's right. kind of how it started. And I did that for a few days, 
and then um, I think the the hubris of youth. I I I had this realization that I mean this isn't a good thing to share, but the the realization was that if the person who was in charge of me was gonna let me run out my time only doing that, and yeah. I wasn't going to learn anything, and then I was going to be in trouble, and so. I knew they worked kind of a nine to five and um, I just didn't go home. I basically mm. stayed there and for eight, uh, well, I don't, maybe 16 hour days for the intern. I mean, I did all my intern hours in less than two weeks, really. Yeah. But I was, but I, I mean, I was there just all day long. Um, I didn't have really money for food. So at the time there were, um, I think there were Noah's bagels that were being delivered that I would just sit in the kitchen and eat those three times a day right. but in the process of being there um you know i got to uh, meet jeff rona spend some time with him and in his room and learn more about how he works on stuff um he was working at the book uh, on a book at the time about film scoring so um i got to do some uh early like proofreading of that i have a little bit of dyslexia so not the best person to have proofreading your book so if you ever have a book keep that in mind not me um and then um and then alan myerson was mixing um they were tracking and mixing scores in the studio a and studio b within um zimmer's uh main main building at the time right and um I somehow, somewhere through the tour of the place, I was shown that room. So I just, whenever I could, I would sneak off into the room and sit with Alan and Kevin Globerman was working with him at the time. And when the time was appropriate, I would ask a million questions about whether the consoles they were using at the time. Um, Kevin started having me help a little bit with, I don't know, I'm assuming you still do this, but with the analog gear, after a session's done, they have sheets that look like a picture like a template of all the knobs and you have to write down what all the settings were and I was being included in some of that and and I was also like getting uh, manuals out of the um there was a a cabinet that had manuals for all the equipment and I just yeah. some of this stuff I had never seen before so Alan saw me reading manuals left and right for euphonics consoles and was like well who's this kid <laughs> and um so I I developed a bit of a rapport with him and that was great and then and then this is where the pinball, I get hit again and I go in a yeah. different direction. I'm sitting down eating my uh, bagel lunch and um, Brian Richards, um, who became a, a, a dear, dear friend, was a, a music editor at um, uh, Remote Controller Media Ventures at the time. And Brian sat down, slid me over a, a Taco Bell burrito. I was like, I got, or it was either a taco or a burrito. I was like, I bought this for you. And I was like, you don't know me. And then he's like, but I know who you are. He's like, can you put a Pro Tools rig together for me um, on a dub stage tomorrow at 6 a.m.? And I said, absolutely. I'd never done it before, but absolutely. Right. Because <laughs> I mean, how hard can it be? <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I I showed up, Brian showed me his room and then I was I learned what a music editor was. And uh, I he showed me his rig. I showed up the next morning at 6 a.m., tore it apart, went with the Cartage people over to I think it was the Warner Brothers stage, uh, set up his rig. And and then that was the first time I was on a dub stage. And um, and then Brian, and then I went back and I, I completed, you know, uh, the rest of my internship hours. And and then the, the final day, um, basically I thought I was in trouble because now what? And then Brian approached me and said, hey, do you want to come work for me and learn all about music editing? And I was like, Yes, of course. Yeah. And I, uh, he did tell me that he had heard that Alan Meyerson had wanted to hire me as an assistant engineer at the time or to work with 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 their team. And um, I never confirmed this with Allison. Brian didn't tell me until months after I was working with him. But he was like, yeah, I heard he was he wanted you. So I, I hired you before he could. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I never confirmed it. But anyway, I went and then worked with Brian for a year. And um and it was, it was, I think for me, it was really good because it was a boot camp in yeah. uh, temp, temping, you know, seeing what happens at a dub, dub stage, seeing the type of communication between the directors and the music editors. And if a composer happens to come to it, um, temping, excuse me, was um, really an interesting process where I'd never, you know, I'd never really spent any time where I just had picture and you just keep throwing one thing after another and to see how, how, how you can change and alter a scene 
with yeah. a piece of music. And um, and I think that was really, really valuable time for me to spend because it it made me aware, I think, without having to write the music at that time, that um, there's there's no one solution. And and I think I've taken that with me that even if I write something that I know that there are other pathways into making this, you know, to this scene working. And yeah. so that helps, you know, if you're on a project and you're getting notes or if they say, hey, try something different, I at least go into it knowing that, yeah, there are there are multiple pathways to make this scene or this film, you know, uh, feel uh, however you want it to feel. So I was working with Brian um, and we were working seven days a week. And with Brian, I, I mean, I was at home for at most four hours a day and film and TV shows. And, and then um, I got to know a lot of people in the hallways and passing as you, as yeah, you do yeah. wandering around that place. And I, I'm trying to think how it happened first. I think I had met maybe Jeff Sinelli first. And somehow I basically I learned that um, Jeff was exiting his time with John Powell and Gavin Greenaway. Yeah. And um, John had already moved out and was, I think, in Marina Del Rey in a home studio. And Gavin was still there. And, um, and so I somehow got an interview with Gavin and, um, and who is a one of the most um brilliant amazing wonderful human beings i've yeah, ever encountered fantastic. on this planet just i mean the best if we could continue for an hour just on gavin i would be happy <laughs> to do so love him dearly <laughs> so i interviewed with gavin and um and uh i was i was fairly stressed because brian's approach brian's personality was more uh this rock and roll wild man kind of vibe and, yeah. and whereas Gavin's proper British and and so for me it was like going from one extreme to the other as far as <laughs> just the initial experience to 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 go interview certainly with somebody but um but yeah for whatever reason Gavin decided to that I, I'd be a good fit and I, I I believe I went over to John's and had met with him then and then they had just gotten pro tools and I was the only one who knew how to use it so that helped so that go. skill yeah. set, I, you know, uh, John was on Logic. I had had Cubase. He told me to throw it out. Um, and Pro Tools, I was the only one who could turn it on and do anything with it for the, at that moment. So wow. um, it was a good fit. And then I spent um, something like four years working with John. And I bounced back and forth between John and Gavin, depending on what they needed. Sometimes they worked on things together. Right. Um, sometimes... Gavin was working on uh, songs for for films, and I would go work with him. And sometimes, in a given day, I was going back and forth, and um, and that was, um, I think, I don't, you know, it's like the time capsule thing I mentioned earlier. I don't know if it's, I don't when I listen to John's music, and if I see it in a film, I don't think it. I think there is a, it does transport me back a little bit to those days. Sure, I can yeah. still like Ev Evolution, the David Duchovny score he did. Um, uh, that was quite some time ago now i remember that was the first time i got to sit in the room with the orchestra playing and it was done wow. in la and i i can't remember if it was at fox i can't remember where we did it now but um and as, as far as i remember i think it was all the strings were a session i can't remember if brass was separate or not but that experience just um i don't know i don't i don't i think it's tough to, to come by those so yeah that was sure. just it was also transformative and and it and it really showed me everything basically it was an eye opener into a world that I did didn't know a lot about yeah everything from the technical side to the composition side um John is a a wonderful mentor human being communicator um he's inspiring to me because of his vast ability i mean he just he can he can really he's a chameleon i feel like he can do any style and he has so much personality and thought that he puts into the music and and I, I i hope some of it rubbed off on me and that um anyway that's that's the essentially origin and then after that i broke off on my own and have been trudging forward ever since yeah and and that experience is everything from sometimes working with other people, doing my own projects, doing film, doing television, um, and probably some other stuff in between that I can't recall. I think yeah. that's about it. 
think that's, that gets us there. That gets us there for sure. Well, I do. Yeah. So, so let's, uh, I, I do want to dive into, uh, I mean, we could, yeah, we could, I love, uh, you know, you, you've done television, you've done films, you've done indie films, you've done, uh, and of course, John Wick, you know, these big studio films, well, it started off small and it got pretty big towards the end, but I do want to jump to John Wick because I mean, I'm just so curious how, I mean, we go back to the beginning. I mean, this was a movie that almost didn't get made, uh, directed yep. by uh, Chad and David, who were just former stuntmen, stunt coordinators who just wanted to kind of make a, a statement about stunt action filmmaking, uh, you know, not doing quick cuts, letting the stunts speak yeah. for themselves. And and it was made for like, you know, $20 million or so, $20, $30 million. And I'm just curious, how'd you get on this project? And how did you get paired with Tyler, who's awesome? And uh, yeah, take it back to those those, those early days. And First of all, what... $20 million indie <laughs> film is, uh, it's quite an indie film. Um, well, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't uh, call so, it an indie film. But... <laughs> I know. I technically, technically, it was, which is always a funny thing. But uh, when I think back, if anybody I know who makes indie films, I'm like, well, it's, that was an indie film with 20 million. They're 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 shocked. Um, but um, so now Tyler, I had met. Um, I had been so when I was working with Brian Richards, I met Tyler within a month or so of of coming to L.A. because I I was doing when I was yeah Brian and I were on a film called Get Carter, a Stallone film. Yeah. It was a remake. Um, and Tyler was on that. And, um, and so I don't know, for some reason we hit it off and became friends, you know, again, like a month after getting to LA. And I remember also going to recording sessions for, uh, get Carter, which was, a um, I don't remember the orchestral sessions. I don't think we're here, but, um, there were like the rock band sessions and jazzy yeah. stuff was all done here. But anyway, so Tyler and I have had a relationship at this point for a little over half my lifetime, uh, a friendship. And, um, and in the past um, we've worked on, I mean, he's, he's seen a lot of my work and worked and we've, we've overlapped here and there on some stuff, but so John Wick one, um, the way it came about was kind of a bit backwards, but, Chad and Dave had some, um, I don't remember what songs anymore, but there was some, uh, they had a few Marilyn Manson tracks that they had mm -hmm. tempted into the film. And um, they had contacted, I guess, his camp and maybe his management to see if he writes music for films. And um, right. which is, my understanding is, I don't believe he does. I think he's, he's, just works on works with the albums and and as a, yeah. a band leader kind of and um so uh his people said hey well we're working with tyler bates right now on um, manson's uh i guess i think it was their first record together um he actually does film so you should talk to him and then they talked to tyler and um and he said hey it's small world i have this song uh killing strangers that manson and i just did um you should check this out and they said this is great um yeah how do we put this in the movie and then um tyler was in the middle of um guardians of the galaxy which uh the first one and um he'd been on it for i think he's on he was on that film all together for a really long period of time and um and with james gunn he likes having music in advance they film to a lot of stuff just to have uh, to set an, a, a tone you know an atmosphere on the on the um set and um tyler just said he's like look this is i i can't uh, this is the focus right now guardians is yeah. is this massive film um i think you'd be a good fit and i think your sensibility would really fit this john wick world um and then he connected me with um dave and chad and i went to a screening um i don't know somewhere in, somewhere in hollywood that just a screening with a handful of people and at that point it was a film i mean it was uh nearly nearly complete and um and we all got along i i vaguely remember making a reel to send over to them just so they yeah. had a sense of you know whatever i was thinking or um some of my previous work that was maybe sort of in this world um, we had a few discussions um, and I was kind of off and running and that one, I, as far as I remember, there were only four, I think around four cuts, maybe five cuts I received before it was locked picture or maybe the fifth was locked picture. So I was on it for seven to eight weeks. It was a pretty quick, uh, you know, in and out in a way. And um, the the there were there was kind of a brief spotting session and um and it was pretty much Dave and Chad saying I remember Dave specifically said we you know this we want the film to be fun 
We yeah. just want it to not take itself too seriously and be fun. And I, I didn't know where he was coming from at the time. The temp music was was the issue that I didn't know. So I, I remember watching the film thinking, how is this fun? You know, the guy that's like, he kills all these people. There's a puppy right. that gets, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. and I felt almost traumatized upon the, the screening. And then I went home and they sent a rough cut and I muted um, the temp. And when I watched it without temp music, I realized that the, the temp was just, um, really pretty heavy and ominous and huge and that it was playing through some of the humor and then and then just kind of sat and did a bunch of free writing to it and came up with kind of ideas and concepts and some approaches and then we had a playback meeting and and they liked it they yeah I think they liked everything and then just kind of I was pretty much left alone to kind of just kind of make a score wow. and get it done and then um also uh La Castlevania uh Dylan was brought on um, to do the uh, club sequence um, for Dominic one, two, and four. And then that's how the first one started. And that again, Chad was only around, he wasn't around for all of post-production. He had um, to go do, he, they were still doing stunt choreography. Yeah, this they was were his... trying to pay, <laughs> they were trying to pay the bills, you know? Yeah, this was their and, first yeah. feature. Yeah, first directorial yeah, feature. Yeah, so, so it kind of wrapped up the film with, with Dave, um, uh, played most things, did did one session at Jack Johnson's old studio for drums with Gil Sharon, who's phenomenal. And uh, and then, yeah, kind of, and then and then finished the film. And yeah. then, I don't know, a good nine months or so went by before it came out and hadn't really expected any of this to happen as far <laughs> as it to blow up. And then it, and then it turned into a huge hit. And, uh, and then the second one came and then the third and then now the fourth. So that's that's how how wow uh, it started in my my introduction to these guys. That's amazing. So um, yeah, we're now so we're at the fourth one, and uh, I mean the the what I love about John Wick is that it it just it it pulls from so much inspiration stuff that I mean I'm sure you grew up with too. I grew up with like oh yeah. I mean you've, you have this kind of neo Euro noir, but you're also having uh, martial arts and kind of John Woo gun fu and and pulling in all this stuff. And now with the fourth one. I mean, more so, I mean, it has been, but you have more Kurosawa, more Leone and, and kind of fully embracing yeah, it as like, yeah. like this is your once upon a time in the West to me, like John chapter four. It, was <laughs> like... it, is. it is. Yeah. And the funny thing is the, um, the, the acoustic guitar stuff was a happy accident on the first one. Um, uh, I, what did I call I called the cue I called is a, the story of Wick. It's like, um, uh, Vigo from the first one's telling the the backstory right. or the, yeah, the yeah, lore yeah. of of John, and I didn't know what to do with the scene. And I had these ideas, and I had kind of mocked it up. And I had Brian Richards, who was as who I brought, who came on as a music editor for it, come over to my studio at the time and played this thing to him. And I was like, I've got acoustic guitars. I'm doing this like David Gilmore delayed Pink Floyd thing. I'm like, is this anything? I I yeah. I couldn't I couldn't really tell because it just felt felt like a very odd combination and I, and I remember when I recorded the um the strum of the acoustic guitar when he was like stabbing with a pencil and I was like it feels like it's breaking the fourth wall like it's just so overtly in your face <laughs> is this is this terrible and I remember Brian being like I love this they're either gonna love it or they're gonna hate it and that's the way to score a movie and if they hate it well you know f them right. basically Fine, you'll do something else but he's like this yeah, yeah. is great and the acoustic guitar came out of the Western thing just came out of, I, I was just picking up instruments I could play. And for whatever reason, I don't know. I just thought it, 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 it was a cool fit. And Brian was like, yeah, it makes him feel like a gunslinger. This is cool. Yeah. But we'd never discussed it before. And then no one commented on it. The, it. the music got approved, the music got mixed and, and it was done. And so I didn't hear anything about um, like Chad's love of spaghetti Westerns until this, I think the second one, he started mentioning like, oh, I love that stuff. Yeah. And then on John Wick 2, a similar thing happened where um, uh, Santino, the the villain, if, if you will, in that one, I wrote this mandolin part for him, just um, noodling around in my kitchen because I was trying to find, I like organic, especially in scores that are hybrid. I, I love organic uh, instrumentation mixed yeah, in. Yeah. And for me, finger picking and acoustic instruments that are, the most expressive instrument uh, instruments I can play. And I actually can't play the mandolin, but I can play that on it. So, yeah. um, but uh, but then I, I made that thing and then Chad perked up and then I started noticing like, oh, he loves it whenever there's any of this kind of rubato type playing. 
And then by the time we got to John Wick 4, he was like, I want to reference, you know, classic Japanese cinema. I want to, you know, have this film turn into a spaghetti Western by the time we get to the end. And with John Wick 4, this is, I think, you know, Chad going from first time directing to now directing four films, or in a way you can almost say three and a half because the first one was he and Dave, but like, let's say three and a half to four films, his growth as a director, his confidence to communicate ideas, it, it's just it's he's grown exponentially in in his in his communication for things he wants and in this one i mean this is in so many ways chad chad's vision for music whether it's songs um score he just he was really hands-on throughout the process saying let's try this let's try that um there's a good 35 minutes of demo experimentation that i had done that um at, in January, I, let me think. I, the first note I wrote for this film was August of 2021. Wow. He had, <laughs> he, <laughs> he sent out an email saying they were they were filming uh, Kane's Kane's da- uh, daughter Mia that she was going to be playing violin and they needed an, like immediately a violin piece for her to play, and oh, so wow. I just started coming up with violin pieces that were whatever length he had asked for and sent a handful off and some sheet music to go with them and then and that piece is now the, the well i don't know it's not really a spoiler anymore but the very end end of the film you know there's sure. me playing this violin piece but um but then there was a meeting in january just discussing chad saying hey i want this is different than the other john wick films it's it's significantly longer there uh the shots are wider there's more dialogue um, I wanted to be uh, more more orchestral. Um, he was throwing out references um, like Holst and Wagner, and um, uh, we he, at some point he said, you know, we've already done Vivaldi a bit, but like you know, his grandfather loved Vivaldi, so you know, yeah. he was just like pull pull from that, but also the John Wick world, and and he's he wanted choir. He was mentioning uh, again like Kurosawa and Japanese films, and he right. said, you know, it's going to turn into a western, so I want that. And I remember just jotting it all down, and I, I somewhere I, I have a, a, the full paragraph of all the things he referenced, and went back to the studio and was just like, I, "What do we? How does this come together?" Seriously, and, like, but the, the and, thing I just want to just point out that you, man, I mean, you're about to explain it, I'm sure, but you managed to create uh, this world that still is unique and and to John Wick, and and I, I don't think you leaned too hard into the references where it was just like winking too hard but it was it still felt natural to what we were seeing on screen but yeah sorry. and, and that's that's the uh, that was the the real challenge is figuring out the balance because I, I remember right. coming back and I had this list and I printed it out and it would just be on my desk and I look at it and go okay what you know it's like you gave me all these ingredients what what is the yeah. salad I'm making with this or the meal and I just started writing stuff and I tried initially doing like kind of like the story wick, the main John Wick theme. What does that sound like if it's just orchestral? And I programmed right. it and I I I don't want to say I hated it, but I just to me it just felt like um a cover, like someone doing a cover of a John Wick tune right. just with the orchestra and any of the magic was kind of gone. And and it's not complex music. So it it you know it just uh, especially the first one harmonically wasn't very complex and and um so that didn't quite work and then i just kept doing things and making um these fusion pieces of you know i there's one i made called a, a newick state of mind that had um that kind of driving um bass guitar stuff i had done in the first one but i did it with like upright bass and there were brass and strings and all these chord changes and it was kind of like had this um Miles Davis bitches brew influence and and it was just yeah. trying things and sending it off and um and they would grab little bits they liked and then the western stuff um again it was trying to figure out what is the right balance between um a sound that we're familiar with and the sound that's the John Wick sound and and then exactly. something new and it was really kind of like moving the slider around of of yeah. of to what degree is because if if I lean too much in the spaghetti western world, it for me at least it felt like it was pulling you out of the film. It's just it didn't sure. feel like John Wick. And if you go too orchestral, it also didn't. I don't know why. I can't answer. I think every project you work on, my observation of the years has been that the picture dictates what it wants to a degree yeah. at least. It just you throw stuff against it, and this goes back to the music editing stuff. You keep throwing stuff against picture, and 
a lot of it just slides down the wall. And um, and I think even John, when I worked with Powell, John used to say he, he well, part of my language, he would say something like, "You just keep throwing shit at the wall and see what sticks," kind of thing. Yeah. And um, I so I think it's the same thing. There's something about these images and the cinematography that when it's a purely orchestral score, it didn't feel like it was interlocking with it. It just felt like it right. was sitting on top of it. And somehow the sounds from John Wick one did fit picture um, and they're grittier and dirtier and there's a raunchy kind of attitude to them that um, I think juxtapose how beautiful and colorful um, the actual images are within the film. And um, so by the time we get to this one, yeah, it's, it's just trial and experimentation. And then Chad, I will say, I've never worked with a director like this before. Um, John Wick for, assembly cut shows up it's three and a half hours to three hours and 45 minutes long yeah roughly. i remember he was they, saying that that was like 350 yeah <laughs> i did not know what to make of it i it is the <laughs> longest thing i've ever worked on and um and and i the the takeaway was that it would need you would need to expand the 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 uh, the music vocabulary just because the film right. was two films and it needed it was just demanding more things of a score of the songs of all of it and and Chad there's there was no spotting session I mean oh, my wow. past experience was always you sit down and you spot a film yeah and Chad it just isn't really that's not how it goes he might play you part of a scene here and there but it was pretty much here's the film go make music um make mistakes, yeah. fail, just send stuff. And, and, and he was like, I'll weed through it and, and I'll make it better. <laughs> you know, it was kind of like, I'll take what I like, discard the right. rest, whatever, just keep making stuff. And, you know, it's easy to sit and talk about music. You and I could talk all day about, oh, let's try sure. this. So it'd be great if the score was nothing but oboes. But until you try concepts out, you, you don't really know if that concept is going to work or not. And I think, you know, he really wanted choir. I knew that much and 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 in that it would work because I had um there's been a through line through all the John Wicks where it's she's kind of ghostly, but I don't know why I like gravitated towards there's a, a subtle female vocal that plays Helen's his his deceased wife's um melody like throughout yeah. the films. And and if you really like look for it, she's calling to him all the time and calling to him to come back to her and oh, or wow. to be with her. And and so him asking for a choir it made sense to that you could build out and expand it in a way is the choir um his wife being louder and the echoes of her is it just all of heaven calling to him i you know i don't right. i don't know exactly what it represents but i know he wanted it and it, and it seemed like it was going to work and the last thing i'll say was is on with chad you don't really since you don't spot a film you don't really have um uh, he, he's working so much on trying to get the visual oh, effects yeah. and all the stunt work. And then again, this film, the, the scale of it to get it under control, that music is one of the last thoughts for him as far as to really be able to talk about it. So really the music process for him, the, the most engagement you start to get is basically the week before the, the final mix starts for the film. And so the, the orchestra was recorded um, let's say that the final mix, the dub, where we mixed sound design, dialogue, and the music, all that got started, the mix for that started on a Monday. The orchestra was recorded uh, that week and leading up to it. So oh Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, the last session was Sunday. The mix for the film starts on Monday. And um, this, the mix was supplied with all the pre-records, all the non-orchestra elements, all the mocked up. Um, wow elements then live orchestras being basically flown in as it's ready to go in in, in uh in an atmos mix and then uh once chad has all of this um the process begins of him going hmm i don't like that or i want to change this or <laughs> or can we add this to that and then i got a request to make a, a western toolkit um which was interesting um Chris, uh, there was there were three phenomenal music editors on the project, and um, Chris Newland called and said, "Hey, can, we need more more Western stuff. Chad's asking for just more stuff he could sprinkle around. Can, what can you do?" And I said, "Give me yeah. an hour." I made a folder, put up a microphone, and just started recording acoustic guitars, slide guitars, harmonica, ocarina, anything I could grab. Wow! And 
and sent that to him and and tried to say hey this is what key this stuff is in you yeah. know good luck good luck <laughs> um on top of the um i had already done the final stretch of the film where it becomes uh more of a a, a direct homage to to a western yeah western i mean he's genre. he's just like taking shots directly from those films yeah to get but, <laughs> but chad basically it was it's just i get it too it's like with a film like this he's like every change chad makes informs the next decision so yeah he changed yeah. the cut he swaps out visual effects he he shortens this scene or lengthens that scene it's all happening right up until the last minute of in john wick four there's the hourglass with the sand running out yes. this is the hourglass for the score and for the film is Chad in the final minutes of the dub mix. And then you, you so the when we get to the Western section, for example, um, I had originally done this um, five and a half minute sweeping piece of music that's on the album called Pistol Procession. And yeah. fragments of that are still used in the film. But four days before the mix ended, Chad said, you know what? Um, now that the, the sound design's coming in and we have all this stuff, let's, um, uh, let's try just muting all the music and see how it plays and then building it back up from there. Cause he said, you know, I think he was talking about like Fellini and like David Lynch and the hyping up sound design and what it would be like if there wasn't music and we're just hearing the, the wind and the crunching of um, their feet on the, on the gravel. Yeah. And then from there it started, well, let's add a little something here or let's add a little something there. Um, let's try something completely different. I mean, the, the last piece I wrote for this film was uh, I turned in the morning or the final day of the mix. I, I did it the night before when they're all going up the stairs. Um, and oh, the stair fight. Uh, oh my God. <laughs> and, or no, after the stair fight, once they yeah. finish and, and, and John and, and, and some of the other characters are walking up the stairs and the sunrise is coming up and there's this kind of rubato Spanish guitar thing yep, and yep. the pulsing and strings and all that. I mean, I did that. I started that at, I think nine o'clock at night, the night before and, and, <laughs> came up with that to, like that because that's how chad works it's just let's try this now let's try something else let's and you just kind of do that every day until uh until you hopefully land where he wants you know the, the film to be and the score to be and and again every the next day he might swap out a piece and go oh now that this is different i want the next piece to be different and it's just it's a it's a give and take so this one was really collaborative and chad was again really really vocal and hands-on and it was a really really a interesting good experience that's incredible i mean I, I mean when you say all that looking at that film i'm just thinking of like i mean the picture changes and conforming and stuff but it seems like oh, it yeah. was i mean you're dealing with that as well and the, but it's it's interesting that like he was taking stuff and i mean you definitely relied on music editors and, and a collaborative effort and uh um just to make because those sequences i mean i can't even imagine choreographing not only blocking oh, them yes. out then filming it then editing it i mean there's like 20 minute fight sequences that are just like i'm like how is he gonna top the last one like holy crap but yeah that's how it, i mean that yeah. stair fight was insane i mean the the club <laughs> fight with the, the boss is insane and i'm just like i'm watching this stuff i'm just like i'm like watching the shots watching the cuts and also feeling the music as well and i'm just but the way it came together i don't think you, you sometimes you can tell when a movie's been trimmed down because you're like you're missing all that like you can feel like it just get and it, the flow still worked and even at two hours and 50 minutes it still was like I was never bored. I was never like taken out of it. And it kept me engaged the entire time. And, and the film was fantastic. I mean, I mean, I'm yeah. a I think it's, yeah. it's a testament to to Chad's focus on all this. Cause honestly, yeah. when, when that first assembly cut came in, um, the Osaka, just the Japanese sequence was two entire reels and it might've been a little longer and it was something like a 40 minute stretch. 40 minutes, and I, yeah. I remember watching through the whole thing going like, I couldn't, I couldn't keep it in my, my head. There was just so it just felt like I'd watched yeah. three movies at that point in a row. And so I just tried to compartmentalize and go, OK, the first problem or thing to solve was um, aside from making all those early demos and experiments, it was then now I had picture and it was like, well, let me try to figure out how do I make this Western world work right in the end. And I started from there and kind of just focused on um, once they get to the top of the stairs and just went all the way to the end of the film and focused on that. And then I was like, okay, the next problem is what do I do with the marquee? And what do I do with um, just the Osaka kind of language? And yeah. how do you expand that and how to differentiate? Um, that was the other part of the puzzle, I think, is how to differentiate these worlds while still feeling like they're cohesive and also not feel like you're just you know, blatantly trying to rip off other cultures and, 
and uh, or to do anything that would be offensive and you sure. know appropriating yeah. something and to 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 demonstrate that you know you are paying homage but also again being true to what I think has become the sound of John Wick. I mean, I very feel much. like the yeah, franchise has a sound it and very much does. when you yeah. stray away from it, it does start to feel again, like, I don't know, like it just doesn't fit anymore. So yeah. the next thing was figuring out Osaka and figuring out um, some of the, like the, the low string motifs and things that are in there that are more of a throwback to that Japanese cinema. And then even that, I think I doubled with, um, th there's this one beautiful shot of, uh, um, when John goes up to meet um, Shimazu for the first time and he's just standing and the winds blowing and it's just yeah. this, you know, beautiful, like low string cello and basses theme. And that on its own s sounded great, but it somehow for a moment didn't quite feel like John Wick. It started to feel like temp even once it right. was written. And then I was like, well, if I can bring in some of those John Wick colors, I think I doubled it with some ebode guitar ebode bass and some gritty stuff just to mix in there to kind of help um again like lock it together with the other john wick stuff all of a sudden it was like it felt like it was its own yeah um, and part part of the film and and then yeah so it was just really a process of figuring out those separate worlds and then kind of bouncing around a bit and then figuring out pacing as the cut evolved and went from you know the nearly four hours to <laughs> you know just under three because pacing changed significantly. Oh, I can't and imagine. Then and then reshoots happen, and then scenes that were uh, were truncated have now expanded, and then you you have to rethink <laughs> it all. Um, but yeah, and, and then Morocco was the Morocco section was easier because there um, there was already a language established in the third John Wick since he had gone there. So right, pulling right, some yeah, of yeah. those colors in, um, but again, uh, adding more of this orchestral element that Chad asked for. Um, yeah. And figuring out how to make that work, and then in the end, the sound design. When we went to the premiere, the sound design is um, incredible and massive, insane. and insane. And so, yeah, you're just being assaulted by visuals, by the, the music, gunshots, by the, the sound punches. <laughs> I mean, it's it's yeah, yeah. There that the whole sequence too, where uh, where I, I thankfully I started playing the game Hong Kong Massacre when he goes overhead and it's on top down view. That's like a direct reference to a video game that like oh, I don't is, know that. Yeah, it's I'll, I'll show you a clip later. I can send it to you. It's literally a top-down game, a very low-budget game, but it's a direct inspiration of John Woo film. So you're just literally with the shotgun, yeah, yeah. with a flaming shotgun blowing through like things. And I'm like, oh, somebody's a fan of this game. And I was like, it's awesome. It did. It didn't feel like a like a tacky tack on it. It worked for that sequence, and it was again pulling from the references around. It just felt natural too. And I was like, oh, this is great. Like it just like I yeah, I yeah. do know that that scene when back in maybe it was March or April around of last year, going down to meet with Chad in his offices, he played that, that scene yeah. um, and a little bit of the end of the film and maybe a little bit of Osaka, but I remember when, I think what they call it, it's either the top shot or top down scene. Yeah. That sequence, I, I noticed, I didn't even realize I was doing it, but I was at the edge of my seat, just trying to get as close as I could to the TV because I, I didn't understand what I was seeing at first because <laughs> right. the, the John Wick world never did this before. Yeah, and all of a sudden the camera's up and yeah. up. Yeah, yeah, no, and I just remember thinking like, this movie does so many different things. He could have just done that and people would probably be excited. So yeah. um, I really do think he just, anything and everything he could think of, they threw at this film. Um, so I don't, I don't know how you top it. As I know, as I know, I know there's, pieces. there's articles going out right now where the studio wants to keep going and Chad is quoted saying like, we had to end this thing and, and there was fights <laughs> about the ending and which we won't spoil or anything, but, uh, I yeah. think if, if this is the swan song, that's the, what's a hell of a way to go out. If they, I mean, I know they have the ballerina spinoff and, and it's, a, it's a great world. It's a great world to, to live in. And it's just this amazing lore that you guys created. I mean, just not with the sound, but with the story and then. Yeah, and it's I mean, an original it's, story. I mean, yeah, that, that in itself it's, is amazing. I there's yeah. I can't think of one in recent years that that's gotten this big that didn't come from a pre-existing wasn't know, based on a, a comic book or a, yeah. a novel or anything. It's an original story, and I think yeah. it it has evolved so well. And your score, your and Tyler's score, has evolved so well over the course of these four films. And and uh, and before we uh, wrap up, though, I, I do want to talk about Tyler. So talk to me about working with him and, and what did you how did you guys complement each other? And what did you kind of what did he help with uh, with you to get the kind of job done? Um, well, Tyler's a great resource as a, just a human being, um, yeah. certainly a motivational speaker as far as I'm concerned. So uh, I've 
I feel blessed that I've been able to have uh, phone conversations that are are just uh, lift you up with yeah. whatever you're dealing with in life. Um, for the for the most part, we work independently. Um, I I because I'm in my own separate studio and uh, I kind of do my thing. There's um, Tyler's a a really really uh, phenomenal guitar viol player, which yeah, is awesome. um, yeah. a color right off the bat that seemed like something that was a good fit because it blurred the lines between the rock world, the orchestral world. And so um, if there are cues that come up where I think that will be a good fit, I can I can throw them his way and say, hey, can you put some guitar viola on it? Or I'll mock some yeah. stuff up with with like cello parts and say, can we get something like in this in this kind of realm? Um, another thing that's been really useful is, um, I mean, I play all my own guitars, but I, and John Wick 3, I don't know. I tend to, um, I do a lot of writing and like away from the computer, just like, I, I, uh, like I, tend to just think about scenes and see them over and over and think about how the music's going to work or, or I I'll dream as well. Like after I'll dream about a scene kind of over and over yeah, yeah. and come up with ideas. And I woke up, I think it was, it was either on a walk or I'd woken up one morning with thought of like a talk box guitar could be a cool color. Um, and just because I, I couldn't think of any films that had one and I felt like it's expressive. And I'd, I, we were talking one day and I had mentioned, I was like, I don't have, I was thinking of ordering one. He's like, oh, I have a talk box. I think he was, he might've already had one or he was playing with Jerry Cantrell and had one. And he's like, I can, yeah, just let me know where you want talk box. I'll throw that on there. And and I, and that color seemed like a really fun new color that got added yeah. on John Wick 3. And then Tyler, as far as um, the the songs have been, yeah, ever since John Wick won, the most of the songs until this one have been bespoke songs where right. um, uh, the Manson song Tyler already had, they had already made that song. So that was a song that just happened to get put in John Wick before it, it actually was released. But um, then uh, Tyler had been working with an artist named Cassandra Nostalgia. Uh, she goes by Nostalgia. Um, they did, uh, it's either one or two, One, I think it was one song on John Wick one where he finally kills um, Vigo's son. And yeah. and then on John Wick 2, I think it was Jerry Cantrell he did a song with, and uh, and another Cassandra song. And then John Wick 3, he had been working with Bush, so they, they were able to get a song in and work on that together for that. And then on this one, man, he did uh, a really interesting and cool uh, remake of, of this French version of Paint It Black. Yes, which was that, awesome for that 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 fight yeah. scene. Oh my gosh, that was perfect. <laughs> it's great, and it, and it yeah. gets orchestral and it's blown oh, out. Yeah. And then he did um, uh, a cover of "Nowhere to Run" with his uh, daughter Lola Colette is uh, is now an artist. And oh, that's um, awesome. So I don't, I, forget, I think they might have recorded that in New York. And then um, oh, and then in the end, he did um, Rena, uh, who plays Akira in the film. The studio in the end said, "Hey, what?" Why don't we try to do the Bond kind of thing in a way and have a main yeah. title song um, versus it being score like it has in the past? And and um, so uh, he and Rena um, and uh, another songwriter named Brasco came together and did that song, and and the, which came together I think in the final days of the film as well. So it's just kind of been a really cool experience where certainly for the first three where you know the music's all going to fit together because right. you know one thing's informing the other and the fact that especially when it comes to knowing in advance or, or hearing rough demos of songs that are getting placed in there that Tyler's working on and go like oh I can make the score work really well in and out of that and if need be find certain sounds to blend and and sonically it, they just really complement each other this one was more challenging because more outside music was brought in so it just was a little more of trying to figure out which hopefully it all transitions smoothly into you know, from score pieces into oh, it does. I, that's uh, a, and songs, I think that but... I, I love I love hearing that too because uh, I'm a good friends with Dom Lewis who who works with David Leach on and did Bullet Train and it was a kind yeah, of yeah. situation where Dom produced the songs, did the score, and was able to create that kind of seamless and did actually like a lot of tracks that were kind of like, hey, I know you like needle drops, let me do something score like that is kind of song like and created that seamless uh that 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 seamless experience where it doesn't feel like us someone's just starting a song it's just all woven into yeah. editing woven into this to the narrative and and yeah john wick four man it's a testament that's a that's like one of my i mean just to see that to see action cinema thriving in 2023 like that where it's it's stylized but it's also i mean really engaging emotionally and just like thrilling and just i mean pushing filmmaking to a place that that's just awesome and uh i just want to thank you so much 
Joel, for, for your oh, time, you. for discussing it. For, I mean, honestly, I think we could do like a master class if we did all four films. Of like, <laughs> I, it, it is a lot of footage to cover. Yeah, I mean, maybe yeah. we should have done this two films ago uh, versus uh, all right. in one go. No, I, I, yeah, no, I completely agree with you. Just, uh, I, I forgot how many, I don't, it's at least what, is it eight hours? No, probably more, um, or close to eight hours or more with the footage. I don't, it's probably a little over actually. Yeah, over, I mean, yeah. Four of them. Yeah. Yeah, it covers a lot of territory. I mean, Chad said he wanted to a film that's going to make you cry. It's going to make you laugh. It's going to put you on the edge of your seats. It's going to make you feel like you're there are horrific moments. It's just everything. He really yeah. wanted it to be this is like his as you said this is the swan song and yeah, this is like Once Upon a Time in loves, the West. Yeah. <laughs> love film to cinema and everything that he grew yeah. up loving. It's a love letter to cinema, so, but the fact that yeah. it's its own unique voice is a testament to it too because it is a love letter. But it's also like John Wick is John Wick. And he, we talked about how the sounds needed to feel right. And yeah, it needs to feel right. The cinematography, that kind of hyper neon look that just oh, looks yeah, be yeah. beautiful in Dolby Vision when I finally get it frame, back at home. Frame by frame. Oh, yeah. yeah, frame by frame. You can, yeah. you can, and that's the other thing I noticed when this film came in. I just kept finding myself, I, I would stop writing and I would just yeah. pause on different shots and go, that is gorgeous. So the shot in front of the Eiffel right. Tower, I, it, shot after shot and in the church, um, Chad said there those were all real candles in that the church sequence when wow. he goes in and I think he's he said something like forty thousand dollars worth of candles that were just these special <laughs> candles that had that are triple wicked and triple that would yeah illuminate yeah but it's <laughs> it's beautiful and he focused um so much on having natural light in these in a lot of the scenes and yeah um, stuff that you can really only do with digital photography like that to kind of get that yeah which is there's depth and and it just pulls you in and um yeah and in a lot of ways too i think because it's some some of the score is pretty minimal under some of the scenes because he's yeah. just like i want to make room for all the sound design and let you soak in these images so no it's it's uh it's a pretty big franchise as far as like how many things it accomplishes within it and sure. visually and so but I, I appreciate you taking the time and I appreciate uh you watching them oh yeah and so. I appreciate yeah thank you for, yeah, for you taking the time I know I mean it's, it's oh. a lot of work and uh I hope we get to do this again sometime it was so much fun I know you don't do too many of these but it was a blast <laughs> I, I'm trying. I'm trying to get out of my introvert shell of sure. uh, uh, of not talking to other humans. Um, but no, it's been a pleasure, Kaya. So I, I really appreciate it. And I, and I, well, it's sort of related, but I just want to note regarding uh, Dominic Lewis at the premiere. I was sitting next to Dave, and the first thing I hadn't seen him in a while. The first thing I was like, I love Bullet Train. Dominic Lewis like killed it. And he was like, Oh yeah, I just met with him earlier in the day. But no, I, I thought he, I thought Dominic did a great job. Oh, yeah. I, I thought the film was a ton of fun. I thought it all worked seamlessly and um, and it was really great. So I'm happy to see uh, that relationship uh, blossoming and uh, I'm excited to see what they come up with next. <laughs>